morning, everyone. Welcome to church. We are continuing in our series entitled Gratitude. Somebody say gratitude. There is a movie series from the 1990s about two men. I'm going to give you a few descriptive words as a hint, and I want to see if you can name these movies. Complaining, negativity, intolerance, uncompromising, griping, fussy, grumpy. What movie series has characters known for these magnetic characteristics? Grumpy old man. Grumpy old men. And grumpier old men. One of the reasons these movies were well received was because, as Hollywood does well, they allowed us to witness the main characters, Walter Matthew and John Lemon, get away with exaggerated attitudes and behaviors on the premise of grumpiness. Because these characters were able to express their irritability through comedy, the movies became an audience favorite. However, if we were to practice their words and actions, off the screen, we would be far from anyone's favorite. Because in reality, no one likes to spend time with a complainer, a grumbler, a grumpy old man, or a grumpy old woman. Studies have shown that few things are more detrimental to your health than a bad attitude. Because our attitudes begin with our mindset. If our perspective is stuck in the muck of negativity, our body, our behaviors, mental, emotional, and even physical health will begin to take on this posture, a posture of negativity. So as we get ready to get into this, we're going to be talking for a moment about ingratitude, but I do need your help for one second, Pastor Charles. If you could just come forward, I do need your help. Miriam, could you come forward? Um, Miriam Webster defines ingratitude in a way that's very powerful. The, um, Alexa's playing in there, if you could just turn her off. It is the choice to take on the mindset and the spirit of the grumpy old men. The Bible is full of stories originating from a heart of ingratitude. Thank you so much. Many of the most disheartening stories in the Bible begin with the spirit of ingratitude. We all know the story of Cain killing his brother Abel. Both brothers offered a sacrifice to God. Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. Cain's sacrifice was not. Knowing Cain's sacrifice was given from an ungrateful heart, God rejected his offering. 
Cain's ungrateful spirit sparked a wave of stewing anger, which convinced Cain that the answer to his wounded pride was not a reflection of his ungrateful sacrifice, but the murder of his brother. King David is another example. David lived a blessed life. The Lord gave him a flourishing kingdom, a successful career as a king, a wife who loved him, a healthy family, well-being, and provision. However, the moment his gaze shifted from the goodness and the mercies in his life and allow his heart to follow his eyes as he scanned his neighbor's rooftops, David coveted what he didn't have. And in his heart, he became ungrateful. In turn, his ungrateful spirit led to a great sin, adultery. Even under the umbrella of his grave repentance and God's forgiveness, the remainder of his reign was stained. His life was scarred by sin, all because his focus shifted from the Lord's grace in his life forgetting all that he had to be grateful for. So I'm arguing this morning that the slippery slope of their sins originated from the sly slin, sin of ingratitude. Philosopher David Hume wrote, of all the crimes that human creatures are capable of committing, the most horrid and unnatural is ingratitude. Early philosophers understood what today's science has proven. Gratitude is a wellspring of life. It has only been in the past 30 years that gratitude has actually entered into scientific study. But the study of gratitude has had its challenges. To measure a trait proven to be much more than an attitude but the embodiment of expression, a value, and an emotional and spiritual connection is almost impossible. Just as the vast science of gratitude is challenging to measure, so is the simplicity of ingratitude, its nemesis. Ingratitude begins in small ways and is so often masked by other emotions and thoughts and behaviors, making the spirit of ungratefulness a challenge to identify. However, though it may be one of the least apparent sins, it drives a costly price. Take a look with me, if you would, at the book of Exodus chapter 16. I want us to examine Israel's attitudes in the earliest days after they exited Egypt. I want to read a couple passages just to make this in context to let you see what we're going to be talking about today if you're not familiar with this passage. I'm going to start in the New Living Translation. 
I'm going to read quite a bit of it. I'm going to read a couple pockets, and uh, then we're going to get into today's lesson. We'll start at verse 1. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way, I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So as the, the scriptures go on and you go through verse 6 and 8 and 9, um, let's kind of skip down. I'm going to read a little piece of verse 10. As Aaron was speaking to the entire Israelite community, they turned towards the wilderness, and there in a cloud the Lord's glory appeared. The Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Verse 13, so at evening quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there was fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. And so the Israelites did this. And as you go on, as you read the story, I'm sure you remember, you know, some, sometimes we just have a hard time following instructions. And so even though they were supposed to just gather enough, they went a little bit overboard and they realized real soon that that wasn't going to work, that when they woke up, it was maggot infested. But if they took just what God told them to take, they had more than enough. Nobody had lack. Everybody had exactly what they needed. And yet, and still we find a spirit of ingratitude. Look at Exodus 2, uh, 16, 2 again. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Verse 3 says, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we saw the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We have a group of people who are complaining, and I want you to see something that parallels to what we do when our needs are not met as well. Just as we struggle with the gravity of our physical needs, so too did Israel, overcome by their fear of hunger. 
Israel's focus shifted from the Lord's provision to what another could provide instead, mainly Egypt. Their complaint surpassed their empty bellies to a resolve that Egypt could better care for them than God in their time of need. Do you see that huge leap? We went from being grateful that we have been delivered to now we're murmuring and complaining because a physical need isn't met to jumping to the next step of I was better off in bondage. I was better off where I was before. You could have left me there if you was going to bring me out here to die. Exodus 4, 16, 4 through 8 said, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died. Would to God we had died. We've gone from having a need that we need to have met to being ready to just have, just you just could have killed me. You could have just let me die. So the Lord, being gentle with his spiritual infants, heard their grumble and graciously provided for them. He sends them quail from the sky, birthing manna from the ground. However, Moses takes this moment as a teaching opportunity and addresses their toxic attitudes. In essence, Moses warns Israel and says, listen, this attitude, this complaining amongst yourself, this underlying murmuring is not against us. It's not against me, Moses. It's not against Aaron. In actuality, your words are against the Lord. Is this who we are? Are we a people who would grumble against the Lord's provisions? I want to submit to you today that we become what we behold. Somebody say, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. Moses understood what the people did not yet understand. If we behold anger, we become angry people. If we behold envy, we become beholden to jealousy. If we harbor frustration, we transform into a quarrelsome person whose arguments keep us from getting along with others. Moses knew that if the people beheld grumbling, they would become a people far from the heart of the Lord. And so, as an early church leader, James understood. I want you to turn to the book of James. We're going to look at some things that he said there. He understood this well, and he spoke of this in his letter to the early church. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. When he surveyed his congregation, he found his body of believers was adopting different postures of sin. James urged them, as Moses did with the Israelites, to guard themselves. James tells his fellow Christian followers that his fellow Christ followers, many of whom were also infants in their faith, that even in the most significant, significant trials that we have to remain strong with an attitude of Christ. For if we do not, we become beholden to the sin that is beckoning them. 
3 verse 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Desires that tempt us take place faith, and they take our faith away from the Lord. For Israel, that was Egypt. They have the potential to lead us away from God, away from the salvation of the Lord, and to be directed away from God's grace and to be led into darkness. I want you to look at Numbers chapter 11 because the murmuring continues. You would think that if you came back to Israel after a couple years of this initial grumble, there would be some development. But Israel is still a spiritual infant. But now they're under the guidance of the law after nearly 800 days in the desert with the daily provisions of manna and quail. Look at what they're saying in verses 1 through, we'll, we'll go a little bit. I'll stop when, when I feel like you have enough of an understanding. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that they that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. <laughs> They're going through the list, right? Like it was good over there in Egypt. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And the manna was a coriander seed, and the color thereof as the color of bdellium. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in meals, or beat it in a mortar, and baked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses was also displeased. Although the menu was always the same, Israel, in the middle of a desert, was never without food in the middle of a desert. 
That's all they ingrained in our minds. I don't know if you remember when we were little and we used to watch the cartoons and we would see if you landed in the desert, you were done. People would try to at least find a cactus to cut it and try to get a little bit of aqua. But it's a well-known fact that people don't survive very well in those kind of conditions. And yet God provided but their response was, I don't like what you provided. I'm sick of it. It was okay day one and day two, but what else do you got? It was better over there in Egypt. Yeah, we might have been slaves, but we had some variety. That is what we call grumbling. To fully understand God's position, we must examine the grumble. Our text says that the Lord burned with anger. What does that tell you? If you have an attitude of ingratitude, what does that tell you about God's feelings about such a disposition? The Israelites would accept the food of the Lord graciously, and again they began to complain and grumble. Given how long Israel remained in the desert, I think of the stories that have not been told. I'm sure Moses had a file of stories around Israel's lack of spiritual maturity. But the book of Exodus tells us some stories, and it tells us that there were so many arguments, so much fighting, so much murmuring, so much complaining, that Moses struggled to find the time to lead the people. He eventually had to appoint elders to oversee the social and the economic issues so he could focus on leading. So Moses had stories to tell. But he deliberately chose to share something special with us in this Exodus story. In the few stories recorded, twice Moses highlights the grumbling nature of the Israelites. This sly grumble, often justified by its beholders, was destroying God's new nation. Isn't that something? Something that simple was destroying them. And Moses understood it had the potential to destroy God's people in the future. And so we are left with this text for cautionary purposes. Because he knows, as we read in James, that an attitude of ingratitude leads to sin that eventually pulls us so far away from the Lord that we no longer trust him. We don't trust him to provide. We don't trust him to take care of us. That becomes the source of the grumbling. Grumbling is the complete opposite of gratitude. To grumble and complain is to reject the grace of God. To grumble and complain 
is to reject the grace of God. Israel's complaining surpassed their unmet physical needs. Their murmuring was a faithless act that insinuated God's provisions aren't enough. Choosing to be ungrateful for their daily drop-from-the-sky meals and their raised-from-the-ground meals and desire to go back to slavery in Egypt to be fed there instead was to reject God's grace and his offer of salvation. Because Israel's salvation was dependent upon them trusting in him. Grumbling takes form of small, small, air quote, sins, discontent, fussiness, gossip, negativity, intolerance, impatience, uncompromising, and unyielding mindsets and behaviors. Grumbling sneakily destructs the strongest of believers. It has the power to pull the strongest of believers, those who were once in awe of the greatness of their salvation, far, far from God into the grips of darkness. In essence, grumbling gives us a free pass to shift our focus from faith and God's provision to the problems in our life. We're entitled to complain. Did you see what I'm going through? We're entitled to be fussy. Do you see what my situation is? Grumbling gives us that free pass that we're going to shift our focus away from God and on our circumstances. It takes our problem at hand and turns it into a spiritual issue of the heart, which inevitably eats away at our recognition of God's grace in our life. Israel imagined they would be better off dying as oppressed slaves in Egypt than to die as free people in the desert. Although it was apparent by his provision that God would not have allowed them to die in the desert, Israel still would have chosen death by slavery over death by starvation. Grumbling has the power to bring us to that place. Ingratitude moves us backwards in thinking and ultimately living. To live with gratitude and to choose to, to live without gratitude and to choose to grumble is to live backwards. Maybe you are saying to yourself, I don't want to live backwards. Are you wondering, how do I know? We know we live in a place of backward living and backward thinking when we get stuck in the why. Why me? Or why not me? If we allow ourselves to reflect on our grumble, an unquenchable emptiness can form within the why questions. This why is birthed from a place of discontent. 
And this discontent bursts from a posture of ingratitude. We have chosen to remain in a thought process that says, this is not enough. This is not what I wanted. This is not how things are supposed to be. There has to be something better than what I have. Why me? This is grumbling. I don't want manna. I want lobster. I'm tired of quail. I would rather have filet mignon. Ask yourself, is there a sense of discontentment in your soul? Do you find yourself stuck in the why? Mm. Closely examine your thoughts, your attitudes, and words. Ask yourself, where do I grumble? Am I complaining a lot? Do I look at my life and say, this is not enough? Or am I living in a state of, I want, I wish, I had, I miss? Do I look at others' lives longingly and wish I had their experience, their possessions, their spouse, their children, their house, their job, their friends, their whatever? These grumbles take the form of questions, murmurs under our breath, thoughts crossing our minds. My favorite one, mm, must be nice. Which at times seep into our conversations are in actuality what the Bible refers to as a spirit of ingratitude. A grumbling heart is the antithesis of a grateful heart. We've got to get to a place as Christians where we know how to look forward to what it is that God is doing while also being content on what he has already done. We fall back into this unwittingly pattern of ingratitude when we don't. That's how we slip. That's how we find ourselves in a place where we didn't mean to be. Then the depression comes. Then the disappointment comes. Then everything else, the, the negativity comes because we have stopped being grateful for what God has already done. Yes, it may not be where we want to be in the future. And we know that God has a plan for us. And we know that God's going to do great things in our lives. But not if we don't appreciate what he's already done. I came across a picture, Pastor Charles, the other day. And it just really touched my heart. It was a picture of um, Christmas in our hotel room. Now, if you guys have ever stayed in a hotel room, you understand that you're just passing through, that you don't make alterations and decorations in hotel rooms. It's not sort of what you do. I can imagine housekeeping surprise when they came into our room and saw a tree taller than me 
I'm not talking about, you know, a little tabletop tree. I'm tree taller than me, star decorated to the hilt, wreath on the, <laughs> wreath on the door, garland all up throughout the room. I know they were like, what is going on here? What's going on here is us making the best of our circumstance while we're here. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? It may not be where you want to be, but guess what? I ain't homeless out on the street. It may not be the vision that God showed me, what he promised me, what he was going to do. But it's better than where I could have been. Lord, I am grateful. We're going to deck this hotel room out. God, you are worthy. We're going to have a wonderful time right here. And I really believe we enjoyed ourselves so much to the point where something that should have been a terrible, traumatic time wind up being such a precious memory. I really kind of enjoyed us being on top of each other. We was closer now. We'd be screaming through the house. Can't nobody hear you. Don't nobody know what you're saying. I mean, there were some things that God allowed us to experience if you're looking for a way to be grateful. Even where you're at right now, even in the situations that you're dealing with right now, even with some of the things that you just feel like, I don't see anything positive for, in this. You better look for it. Because that's where your breakthrough lies. When you start praising them right there in prison, that's when the shackles come off. When you start thanking him right where you're at, when you start being grateful for what he's already done, when you start celebrating and giving thanks, God, you are awesome. This ingratitude is more detrimental than we could ever imagine. And if you haven't caught it yet, it burns anger in the heart of God. Grumbling does not have to have the final say. God's grace surpasses the grumble. He is gracious to forgive, and the answer to our ingratitude does not require a movement of mountains. You can begin to push the needle forward and start practicing gratitude right now. I'm going to give you two assignments for this week on how you can do this. Ask yourself, how can I move the needle forward in my life this week? Is it a new gratitude practice? As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about how we say grace before we eat food. And that's really a gratitude practice. It's saying, I didn't have to have this food. It's saying, before I start stuffing my mouth, eating it, you know, some people do it because they want to bless the food because they want to make sure that whoever, you know, prepared it, that they're not sick from any impurities. But many of us, when we say grace, now it may be habit and we just do it automatically. But the origin of that was that we were saying, God, I thank you. 
I know there's places in this world where they don't even have meals. They can't even get food to people. They can't even get water. If we're getting three meals a day, God, thank you. That's a small practice of gratitude. Where can we sprinkle more of that? Where can we show appreciation? Where can we build in practices like we do before we eat our meals where we give God thanks? Do we give him thanks when we wake up and when our feet hit the floor? Do we give him thanks when we walk into the door and we have a place of worship? Do we give him thanks when we get back home and we arrive safely? I had to go to Columbus, Ohio yesterday, and I don't know, I probably just have, you know, anxiety that makes me always nervous whenever I'm traveling. I don't care if I'm on a plane, I don't care if I'm by car, but I'm always one of those people that I thank God. Thank you, God, for safe travels. I didn't have to make it back. Driving while I'm sleepy in the dark. God just does so much. Do we integrate practices of gratitude? So that's the first challenge for this, this, this week. And if you feel stuck in the why, is it because you need to release something to the Lord? Do you grumble in your spirit? Have you taken on a posture of ingratitude? How can you replace this mindset this week with gratitude? The beauty of the gospel of grace is just that. It is a freedom based on grace. You do not have to earn your way. You can receive grace at any time and live it. Practicing gratitude, accepting and expressing his grace can begin right now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for how you're preparing our hearts for Thanksgiving. God, I thank you that even though this is a time that we look forward to where we can enjoy great meals and, and the pleasure of our families and you've blessed us to have so many luxuries here in this country and here in our community. But God, I thank you that you're helping us to reconsider how we give thanks unto you, how we express gratitude to you. Thank you, Father, for you love us and you do not want us to unknowingly be ungrateful children who don't appreciate what you've done for us and what you're doing for us even right now. Thank you for exposing to us the ways ingratitude have crept into our hearts and into our thoughts. Thank you for revealing to us the ways ingratitude debilitates our ability to receive blessings from you. So now, God, give us the power through the Holy Spirit to rectify any area in our life in which this is manifested. God, give us, now that we have awareness, give us the strength to begin to build new habits, to begin to begin to receive your spirit the Holy Spirit. Father, let your Holy Spirit do a work within us, causing us to see your grace, causing us to see your hand, and causing us to give you praise and honor and glory and appreciation and gratitude for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. For we do love you, Father God. 
We love you with all our hearts and all our minds. Help us to show you that and express that in a way that brings you glory, that pleases your heart. We ask these blessings in your holy and sacred name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.